This podcast takes you into the rarely discussed realm of the personal decisions leaders have taken that have influenced their business decisions and developed them into the leaders they are today. The refreshingly honest experiences of those who have been very successful provide an insight into the challenges they faced, the successes they achieved, and the people who influenced them along their journey. Here's our host, Mark Silvera. Welcome to Business Made Personal. This podcast is brought to you by the insurance industry's leading education and events provider, ANZIF, via their Careers in Insurance initiative. I'm Mark Silvera. Today, I have with me Clifton Warren. Now, Clifton Warren is the principal of Clifton Warren, a consulting organization assisting financial services professionals to grow through better marketing and selling. Having worked in life, general and workers' compensation insurance for over 10 years, Clifton can speak with authority on the subjects. He is also the author of five books designed to assist financial services to better understand their markets and structure their strategies around that understanding. Welcome to Business Made Personal, sir. Hey, happy to be here. Clifton, you are clearly from the US. How about giving us a little bit of your sort of story before you got into the workspace? Well, I was born in California, um, Oakland, California, raised in Sacramento. I'm the youngest of five by 10 years. At the age of 17, I decided to uh, quit school because I was bored and joined the U.S. Navy. And that sort of, that set off a whole chain reaction of events that leads me here to today. So how long were you in the Navy for, Clifton? I did four years active duty and um, two years reserve. So a total of about six years total service. And the reason for that was, you know, a lot of people have different reasons for joining the armed forces. What was yours? Well, for me, I was bored at school and whilst I was doing okay, I wasn't really ready to go to college uh, yet. And so that seemed like a nice gap. My brother had just served in the U.S. Navy for 20 years. I had another buddy of mine that just joined. And so it's, I checked, met the recruiter and it seemed like a good idea. And, and was it a good idea? Yes, it was. It was, it set off something that I probably would never dreamed of. I got at the age of 17, 18, 19 years old, I got to see the world, worked on an aircraft carrier. I lived in Japan for two years. I wouldn't have done that if I would have stayed in Sacramento. So thinking back to that time before you actually joined the Navy, what was your background growing up like? Was it a difficult one? Was it an easy one? No, we had a pretty cool neighborhood. And back then it was, it was about community. And uh, we had a working class neighborhood, meaning that everyone was broke. So you never noticed you didn't have any money. Everyone's in the same boat. And, but you know what? We had some rising stars in our neighborhood. So for instance, my, my friend down the road, Rex, uh, his father ended up being elected um, sheriff of Sacramento County. The guy next, the kid next to me, Steve, and his father ended up becoming the chief medical examiner for the state of California. So we had a working class neighborhood, but it was an up and coming neighborhood. A lot of community, a lot of sport. The school was around the corner. Police lived in the neighborhood. So yeah, it was, it was okay. It's not that way now, but back then it was great. Yeah. Okay. So what's well, changed significantly these days, has it? Yeah. Demographics changed. You know, when I grew up in South Sacramento, that was the end of the universe. And over time, as new subdivisions opened up, people earned more money. They moved out to the newer subdivisions. And that left the other places sort of just derelict and run down and so forth. I still got friends that live in the old neighborhood, but it's certainly a shadow of what it used to be. So it then begs the question, how did you end up in uh, sunny Australia? Well, after serving in the Navy, while serving in the Navy, we made a stop in Fremantle, uh, Western Australia. And myself, along with several others, we fell in love with the place. And I met a lady. She came back to uh, the United States. Some years later, we got married and 
This I moved to Australia. Originally, the goal to come to Australia was going to be for six months. Check it out. And here I am, 30, almost 40 years later, still here. It's a bit like insurance, isn't it? Once you're in, you're in. Yes. <laughs> you got to Perth. You've met someone, obviously, in Australia. That was a powerful enough pull. I guess you were probably used to traveling around a little bit. When you settled in Australia compared to the USA, you would have noticed significant differences just in terms of infrastructure, in terms of availability of you know, resources, et cetera, et cetera. Was it a difficult transition for you? No. The one thing that, even when I was in the Navy, we pulled in here, the one thing that struck us about Australia, it looked like America. <laughs> and uh, you know, English speaking, the climate was good. I drove on the other side of the road. But I mean, it was a um, very easy fit. I mean, Australia at that stage was about maybe 10 years behind the U.S. as far as a lot of things. Today, that gap's about two to three years. But yeah, it was very easy to adjust. And there were a lot of American logos, American brands here that made it easy for me to, um, to just relax and get on with it. And, you know, can I take you up on a point? Some people would say that Australia's ahead of the U.S. at the moment, mate, with all the challenges they've got going on over there. You weren't just in the Navy. You also did a couple of other things. So you were a former amateur bodybuilder and powerlifter. I started bodybuilding when I was in the Navy. I learned something on an aircraft carrier. I started bench pressing on the ship. And when you catch the ship on a rise, you can lift a thousand pounds. When it go, when it's on the downwards, you couldn't get the bar off your chest. And the USS Midway, the ship I served on, had a great gym on there. And we used to work out at sea. That sparked my interest. And when I moved to Australia and... Whilst I was looking for a job and getting settled in, I came across a gym and I just met some of the guys there, started working out and bodybuilding and powerlifting, uh, two different sports, but uh, it was something that I could do as an individual sport, didn't have to rely on a team. And it's a great way to build friends amongst the gym. And that's really how it took off from there. And I was genetically gifted and good at it. So talk me through the whole insurance piece. So you come to Australia, your experience is really the naval side of things. How did you end up even contemplating getting into the insurance market? Well, my first career entry into financial services was in the United States as a mortgage banker. And mortgage bankers, similar to a mortgage broker it is today, but you need a real estate license in, in California. And it's just, it just operates slightly differently. When I moved out here to Australia, my first job was with Dun & Bradstreet. I was a credit analyst. And then I moved into sales, selling credit information or information services. And I did okay for that, but I was once again looking to move on and so forth. And one day I just saw advertisement for um, an insurance company was advertising. And back then they advertised in the weekend newspapers, big, you know, quarter page ads, whatever they're looking for, uh, an account executive in Western Australia, AIG was. There was a point in the time in the industry because the insurance industry at that stage was moving towards not just transactions, but they wanted professional salespeople. I didn't have the content knowledge of insurance. They taught me that, but I had the sales skills and that's where I sort of moved in there. So I became an accident health manager in Western Australia. And now you live in sunny Melbourne. Well, it's sunny today anyway. How did that transition happen, Clifton? Well, when I started with AIG, accident health, I knew nothing about insurance. So they did a great job of, of training me and teaching me. And it was just not only myself, there was a few others that came through a similar pathway of being sales professionals have sales capabilities. And they gave you the insurance content through mentorship and everything else. And I became really good at it. Accident Health, you know, sort of fit me like a glove. And I started performing, exceeding my budget when salesman of the year. And I got bored. 
I was doing it really well. And so I was looking around within AIG for the jobs. There were some gigs going to New Zealand. And so I, I got offered two roles out of New Zealand, one for a, in the area of kidnap and ransom to run that as a profit center. And the other would be profit center manager for Accent Health for Australia, for New Zealand, and a little bit of the South Pacific area. And so relocated to uh, New Zealand. Once again, that was a different ball game because that was a big step up because you go from being a state manager to a country manager and a lot of learning, a lot of mentoring. I got given a lot of great content. AIG is a great company that they give you the freedom to run your own show. And I got some good results and then I moved to Australia and I was starting to get bored. And a couple of things happened in New Zealand. Firstly, I noticed a transition in the insurance industry again. And with Accent Health, by the way, I was doing insurance programs for airlines, banks, direct marketing, a lot of things. It wasn't just straight insurance, doing it through broker channels. A lot of it's direct. But I noticed that the executives I was dealing with didn't want to just talk about insurance. They want to talk about business and performance improvement. And I recognized a trend that you needed to be more than just an insurance person in the marketplace that was changing. So I went and got an MBA. Went back to school, got a graduate diploma and continued on the MBA. They gave me the capabilities to start dealing with the CEO level and felt confident about it. And my deal making got very sophisticated also. I knew what I was doing. Uh, at that stage, I realized that I wanted to move into the world of consulting, but I didn't know exactly what it looked like. I didn't know if anyone did what I did. And fortunately, I started meeting people that, you know, that did that. So when I moved to Melbourne and I started to launch my own firm, AIG became my first client. Talk me through a little bit. So you've been now in sales training for some time. How many years is it in total? Total about 22, 23 years. So you mentioned something that when you first joined the insurance industry, that you were given a lot of support, you were given a lot of training in terms of the product. Given what you've seen, do you think that that's still the case today? Do you think that we are still bringing people in and then giving them the time and the resources to educate them? You know, what's happened now, in days gone by, when you join the insurance industry or and other financial services industry, you're almost like apprenticeship. You worked under a an experienced person. So when I joined AIG, I worked under a very senior underwriter who taught me how to underwrite because I didn't know nothing about underwriting. And you learn that knowledge and eventually you acquire the people skills and how to do everything else. Today, and this is purely through legislation that focuses on compliance. So what we do now, we send brokers to broker school through associations and they're fine associations. They give you the technical bits on what a policy is, compliance, risk management, and claims. But somewhere along the way, the ability to deal with people has fallen off. And so you have a lot of people that simply don't know how to do business. And there's a whole generation out there. They taught the transaction part, but not the part of really how do you go out and develop business, uh, work with clients and work with people and develop opportunities. It's interesting you mentioned that because I was having a conversation yesterday with people around the changes that COVID has uh, effectively forced on businesses and the whole balance between working from home and working from work and the loss in terms of the whole communication piece. And, and the person I was speaking to was a clinical psychologist, and she was talking about the fact that we're, they're seeing a lot more mental health-related issues because of that specific lack of human interaction. If you look at what your experience has been, what's the ways around this? What are the sorts of things that we can do? Well, I think the f- first thing is making sure that we balance out that technical compliance bit as well as with the people skills bit. And when COVID happened, that's a good example. Um, it affected all of us. And uh, my business actually boomed during COVID time. 
simply because there was a, a need for communication. There's a need to, how do you manage remotely? Need to, how do you communicate, build your teams? But we also need to do this now after COVID's gone. And so there needs to be a balance with getting the transactions right. So we, you know, we get people their deployment insurance or certifications. They could do that, but they still need to develop the business. And that's can be done two ways. Either the founders of the business, and by the way, they're slowly retiring, in some cases quickly retiring. And that's, that's creating a sales void. And that void is in knowledge also. They, they're the rainmaker, the original rainmakers of the industry that built the business. Now, fortunately, you have, you know, guys like Robert Kelly, they're still around, but generally a lot of your old rainmakers that knocked on doors, networked and so forth, that techniques are gone now and so forth. And so there's a lot of people that don't know how to do it. They've been handed a portfolio, but now it's how do you do this? How do you build it and so forth? So some people would say, Clifton, that those techniques are no longer required. Some people would say that those techniques are outdated. The movement towards technologically related sales capabilities has seen huge advancements. We're talking today about artificial intelligence being able to assist you. What would you say in terms of looking at changes that are now required from a sales process? Well, the fundamentals have not changed in the last 50 years, and they're going to remain the same for the next 50 to 100 years, the fundamentals of people and selling and marketing. New technology has come about. For instance, social media is a very good part of that now, LinkedIn particularly, but the fundamentals still remain the same. Also, our economy and marketplace is much more sophisticated. Our buyers today of insurance have many choices. It's not just the broker has a sole channel now. They have many alternatives. And quite often, our buyers are much smarter now. They've done their research. They've done their homework. And so we need to be able to relate to them in a different way. And not just insurance ideas. We need to bring business ideas to them and sit down and, and, and talk to them, focus on their business. It just so happens your product happens to be risk insurance, risk transfer insurance. But the mechanism is still the same. Bottom line is you're helping that. Director, business owner, improve the performance of their business. And that's the thinking process we need to have. And finally, our insurance risks today are getting much more complicated. It's not just transactions. You know, we got, you know, forget about climate change and artificial technology, which by the way, is another risk exposure that's coming up. So the business environment is much more complex today. And so the professional today needs to be able to have that conversation with someone and be able to relate to them and then share risk ideas on how they can help them improve their business. I want to talk to you about, you were speaking on a topic of customer continuation in the Australian broker in March 2023. You said, and I quote, the first sale is always to yourself. Once you have the mindset sorted, it comes down to things like efficiency and how can I do this? That is where the process comes in, end of quote. Now, I understand that piece was around mortgage brokers, but I'm interested to find out what you meant by the first sale is always to yourself. Ask yourself, in a similar situation, would I buy this? Would I make this decision? And you got to be able to understand your own value and articulate that. And that's done internally. And so when you can look in the mirror and say, this policy or this program is going to cost X or the value of this is X, uh, that's what I mean by the first sales to yourself. You're convinced of the value that you provide. Uh, to a business, or to a company, whether you are, work for an insurer or for a broker or for a risk management firm, that value, you understand your sales philosophy, you understand your value, and that's internalized. Let me change the topic a little bit, sir. I mean, it is called business made personal, right? I want to talk about challenges. So if I asked you what is the hardest challenge that you've had to overcome in your life, be it personal or business, what would it be? 
Well, the first one was um, in the Navy. I couldn't swim and I forgot. The Navy didn't ask and I didn't tell. And it wasn't until week two that, you know, when I nearly drowned in the pool, that they had to teach me how to float. They had a choice. They could send me back home or teach me how to float. So they taught me how to float for five minutes. So that was that was a big challenge along the way, uh, personally. In business-wise, you know, when I first made the transition into insurance and I was working in WA, I followed someone that was a very successful A&H accident health manager. He had a good brand. Everyone knew him, all the workers in business with him. They didn't know me. And I lost a quarter of the book in about 30 days. And I calculated within... Less than a year, I was going to be out of a job. There would be nothing to manage. So I had to overcome that challenge. I had to work out processes. I had to quickly get my knowledge up to speed. And that was a big challenge. But I overcame it. And the techniques that I trained and used myself, I trained staff with. And those staff members and people I worked around ended up, some of them are still in the industry today, doing very well in senior positions. So that was a big challenge. I want to ask you, what sorts of things did you actually do? Well, the first thing is, you know, you start thinking about your process. So continuation process, something I write about in my books and so forth, that's something I came up with a long time ago. You don't just renew accounts, you continue relationships. And those relationships are more than just showing up at renewal time or send out the rule. You need to have be delivering value throughout the year to a particular client. So I'll use a broker example. You need to have a midterm review with the, with the client, a bill of stewardship. You need to have maybe a quarterly strategy meetings with them about their business as well as working with the underwriters on pre-renewal requirements that's going to meet the needs of the client down the road. So continuation was one of the first things I did, even though I was broker-driven to its largest extent, I still had a good continuation program to retain and develop, maximize your relationships there. So that's a good example of, of the process there. And the other thing, and finally, the, the, the second part of this is making the complex simple. I worked very hard. You know, when you're an insurer, you think brokers know everything about insurance, they don't. And the clients certainly don't know. So my job or any professional's job is to make the complex simple so they can relate to it. And that's, so between the continuation process and simplifying the complex, those are two what I call secret weapons that work extremely well. I want to also ask you about mentors. I mean, during the course of your career, have you had mentors that have actually assisted you? Yes. You know, in the early days, I had several mentors, uh, some I passed on, that directed the traffic and showed me the way uh, a little bit. As I got better at it and more experienced. I have a lot of mentors and I've taken a piece out of each of them to make something, to make unique me. And that continues on today. My From writing to speaking and so forth, there's a lot of mentors out there. But in the early days, I was fortunate to have two or three people there that took the time and patience to show me how to, you know, how to go from A to B or A to Z along the way. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier on was the fact that your initial roles, you you got bored and that caused you to seek out new opportunities. Doing what you're doing today, why aren't you as bored as you were back then? I keep reinventing. You know, when I first started and what I'm doing now, I was just a sales trainer and I slowly evolved as I get my capabilities. So now I write books, I produce videos, I do podcasts. I'm continually pushing the envelope, even with existing clients and and so forth, because the, the world's changing. The world's flat, meaning that you just can't work in a silo anymore. And so for brokers and insurers and clients, you know, you got someone in Japan, India, or United States that can easily capture your market. And so just those things there cause you to innovate continually and new ideas. And now I'm always trying to find ways, what new ways can I package information out that's going to help that young professional get off to a great start and build their career? You know, you mentioned innovation, right? So it's one of my passions. 
Do you think from an insurance industry perspective that we're as innovative as we should be? Yes, in some ways. On certain products, we've been innovative. On the relationship side, no. You know, too many insurers are just, insurance people are just treating it like a transaction. Too many insurers and brokers are just focusing on on the renewal process and getting that renewal slip out and invoicing the client. That's not good enough anymore. There's too many choices, too much out there that clients need to have added value. And one day, I mean, the general insurance is lucky. It's still a commission-based driven industry as such. That may change or start to change one day. Sooner you can recognize and work out how to deliver value, the more you're in a position to have options of how you want to serve a client and so forth. And look, I, I hear you and I agree with you in terms of the commission model. There's, there's a lot of interest being raised at parliamentary level in terms of commissions, but it has done for many, many years. I guess the point is that you know transparency is the first part, but the second part is you're 100% right, adding value. How do brokers add value? How do insurers add value to the end client is probably the question. What are you seeing happen that's exciting? Well, I'm starting to see people take the continuation process seriously. And so they're coming to me. They're asking, how can we better work with our clients? And so they recognize they need to have a midterm review. So they're saying, well, how do we do a midterm review now? How do we do stewardship? And also I'm seeing insurers in some cases get better and brokers driving that. You can't just work with a client 30 days before renewal. In some cases, 15 days for renewal. You need to be working 90 days out for a renewal. You're not going to get terms from an underwriter 90 days out, but you can certainly be partnering with them and working in the best interest of the client. And so the key thing about innovation is being proactive in your approaches, in your relationships and all your dealings, and even in claims handling and so forth, just being proactive in the communication and so forth. So I'm seeing a lot of brokerage firms now embracing CRM and trying to figure out how do we make this work in our business so we can add value across the business. By the way, having a CRM is a must to implement your continuation process. So things are calendarized. Just you know what needs to be done. And it stops you from having to think about what you're going to do tomorrow, right? Yes, it does. <laughs> I want to ask you a couple more questions before we let you go. New people coming into the industry, if you were to say to them, look, there are some things you need to get a handle on quickly, what would they be? The first one would be you need the basics of salesmanship. Secondly, you need to have very good presentation skills. You know, the ability to speak in front of people, in front of small groups, large groups along the way. And thirdly, communication skills, both verbal and written. So those are the core skills. If you have those core skills, salesmanship, speaking skills, written and verbal skills, the content is easy and you will have a lot of options and be able to move. Because don't forget, the insurance industry is changing also. So the careers you have, is not so much about just transacting with clients. There's other needs and other areas. And if you can have those skills there, uh, the world opens up to you. And that's where I got lucky. What do you mean you got lucky? Well, I had the um, salesmanship, but also had the communication skills. Did a lot of work with Toastmasters when I was young. I had no fear of speaking in front of people in small groups. That did wonders for my career when I was able to go out on the road and present and speak and help promote the company and myself and open up doors and markets that my competitors could because they didn't think of, they didn't think of doing it that way. But Clifton, I just want to sit behind a computer. I don't want to go out and speak to people. I'm really good at IT. Um, you know, I can sit there and I can process claims all day. Why do I need to learn salesmanship? Why do I need to learn how to speak in front of people? Well, salesmanship is not just about closing the sale. Salesmanship is more about communication. We're all salespeople. We have to sell our ideas internally, externally. And so you need to understand how to do that. Persuasion might be a better phrase for some people. 
to do that with. And being able to speak confidently to sell your ideas is also critical too. So whether you sit behind a desk or, or wherever you sit or doing claims, you're going to have to work with people. This industry is not an industry in isolation. And the more you can do that, the better you get at doing that, the more options you have in your career. So if you have salesmanship, communication skills, and written skills, you have the opportunity to get promoted faster. You have the opportunity to work on more complex cases. And if you do start your own firm, you have the basic skills of growing. But more importantly, when you have those skills, you're in control of your destiny. You're not just relying upon someone else telling you what your next job is going to be. Look, I've always been of the mind that you know anyone, even the receptionist, is in sales because that's the first point of contact that the client has with that office, right? You're absolutely right. Let me ask you two more questions. First one is, I'm going to give you a magic wand, sir, and you've now got the magic wand and you can change anything about the insurance industry that you want to. What would you change? I would make, as well as the legislation on compliance and the, the basis you need for a diploma insurance would become a certified broker your AFL's license. I'd also make the ability of this development also a core component. Being able, and wherever level you're at, you know, how to acquire clients, how to retain clients and nurture clients along the way. To me, that's, that should be a core skill as far as being a professional. And final question, what's next for Clifton Warren? Well, I have a new book coming out next month, or actually in September. It's really about continually to evolve. And I have some ideas going forward. And quite often, I don't have a clear roadmap, you know, like five years down the road, because I see things come along the way. And I'm going, that's interesting. I'll add that on. So it's not about dropping something. It's really about adding on. And that's how I've always managed to increase my value. I still do my core stuff, but there's a lot of other things that I, that I do also. And I try to continue to walk the talk. So when I'm sitting with a professional or a business owner or anything like that, I practice what I preach. So everything I show them and tell them, it's been road tested, it's been proven and so forth. So to me, it's this is fun and I want to continue to have fun and deliver values the best way I can. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on Business Made Personal, Clifton. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for lending us your ears. Please remember to click follow on your podcast app or subscribe at bmppodcast.com.au so we can give you a sneak peek of our next guest. Until next time, I'm Mark Silvera, and you've been listening to Business Made Personal.